Today we uh, continue the series in the Gospel of John, and I'm reading from John chapter 12, the first 11 verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why hasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to it, to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were coming over to Jesus and believing in him. The clock was ticking. Jesus was about a week away from his crucifixion. The chief priests and Pharisees had laid their trap and were waiting for Jesus to show up in order to spring it. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, and there was a dinner given in his honor. The dinner does not take place in Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home, but as we see in other Gospels, in the home of Simon the leper. No doubt Simon was one of the many people Jesus healed of an incurable disease 2,000 years ago. If Simon had not been healed, there was no way he would be hosting this party. There was a warrant out for Jesus' arrest. Simon, in an act of courage and love, threw Jesus a party in the last week of his life right under the noses of the religious establishment. Simon was willing to risk his life and his home and his family to be with Jesus and say, thank you for giving my life back to me. Lazarus, freshly raised from the dead, shared similar sentiments. Thank you for giving my life back to me too. Mary and Martha, women who were Jesus' friends, which by the way, was unheard of in that day. You did not have, make for, a woman did not make friends with a man. And they were his disciples. By the way, that was unheard of in that day too. No rabbi would take a woman into their group and make them a disciple. Women who had listened for years to the teaching of the master and saw wondrous things. Women who had been given dignity no other women in Israel enjoyed. They too joined the party. Jesus, after all, had given their brother Lazarus back to them and so much more. It says Lazarus sat with Jesus and celebrated their friendship. This is one way of worship, to sit and talk with Jesus. Martha served. This is another way of worship. And then came Mary. She took a pound of imported perfume and poured it on Jesus' feet. Nard was a costly perfume derived from a plant that only grew in India in those days. In today's currency, the ointment was worth tens of thousands of dollars. 
a whole year's salary, Judas accurately pointed out. It was, I'm sure, the most expensive gift Mary could have given. That nard, by the way, might have been a part of her dowry to be given in some sort of marriage arrangement. When Mary poured out that perfume, she was pouring her heart, her future, her destiny all over Jesus' feet. And then it says she did something that was scandalous. She took her hair and she wiped his feet with her tears and her hair. This was complete vulnerability. This was a complete, utter show of devotion and adoration. Another woman had done that, a prostitute, and there were Pharisees there, and they pointed out how improper what that woman, what she was doing. But when Mary did it to Jesus at Simon the leper's home, nobody raised an objection. They knew exactly what she was about. They were there for the same purpose. It was extravagant love. It was stunning to anyone who would have been there except Jesus himself. Everyone in that room was there to say thank you, to celebrate the, not just the gifts, but the gift giver. This is at the heart of worship. You know, you would think that gratitude and worship would spring up spontaneously in us. We all have so much to be grateful for, but it doesn't. Have you noticed? Thankfulness and praise and worship are commandments in Scripture. You know why? Because gratitude has to be learned. We don't come into this world grateful. We come into this world screaming. That's not wrong. It's the only way babies have to communicate. It's just that some of us never grow past the demanding, tantruming lifestyle that we began with in this world. One writer puts out a list entitled, Seven Surefire Ways to Be Unhappy. He gives seven. So let me read them to you. One, make little things bother you. Sweat the small stuff. Two, get yourself a good worry one about which you can do nothing, and ride that horse. Three, be right all the time. Be the only one who is right, and be rigid about your rightness. Four, don't trust, believe, or accept people at anything but their worst and weakest. Be suspicious of everyone. Five, always compare yourself unfavorably to others, which guarantees instant misery. Six, take personally, with a chip on your shoulder, everything that happens to you that you don't like. Everybody's out to get you. Seven, don't give yourself wholeheartedly or enthusiastically to anyone or anything. Now, I don't know any people like that, but I talk to other pastors, and their churches are full of people like that. In other words, focus on the bad instead of being grateful for the good. You and those around you will be miserable, I guarantee it. In fact, ingratitude created the first sin on this planet. Ingratitude is the reason for the fall. Adam and Eve were giving a, given a perfect planet, and it was not enough. They were given Eden, but they wanted more. That's what the serpent did to Adam and Eve. He created an irrational desire for more. 
a perfect world with perfect relationships with each other and God himself in a perfect environment was perceived as being shortchanged. Can you imagine it? They wanted to be God and nothing else would satisfy. What Adam and Eve should have said to that serpent's temptation was, are you crazy? Have you seen this place? Strawberry fields forever. Blueberries, orange groves, melon fields, glorious flowers everywhere. Let us take you on a tour, snake. We want to show you the generosity of our maker, the one you say is holding out on us. If Adam and Eve had showed gratitude instead of greed, how different would this planet be? If we choose gratitude instead of ungratitude regularly, how different would our world be? We really are the children of Adam and Eve, aren't we? In this country, we keep getting more and more and are satisfied less and less and are getting less and less grateful. No one has been blessed with more material things than this country in the history of the world and probably nobody is more unhappy. That's why we are commanded to be thankful. We're commanded to praise. We're commanded to worship. Because gratitude keeps our souls healthy. A lot of sins go away if we are praising the Lord instead of lusting after more junk. Our God is good. He has blessed us over and over and over again. And our main job as Christians is to place ourselves in his presence so we can be filled with his love and give all we have back to him. Just like Mary, we are called to open ourselves to Jesus' love because once we open ourselves to Jesus' love, we cannot help but fall in love with him. There is no greater task that we are called to do as Christians. I've said it many times through the years. Your most important chronological task is to let Jesus love you and be real to you. Don Locker, who used to be the pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Glendale, California, tells about a vivacious older woman in his congregation. When she reached her 80s, she decided to enter a retirement home. And so she had a number of close friends already there, and they decided to give her a welcome party. They planned a beautiful banquet, and they sat her at the head of the table. And when they sat her down, she immediately noticed next to her was an older gentleman, quite dignified, well-dressed, and strikingly handsome in his 80s. He had lived in the retirement home for some time, and when she sat down beside him, she could not take her eyes off of him. She stared and stared and stared at him until it became obvious and embarrassing for them both. Finally, she said, please forgive me for staring at you like this, but I can't help it. You see, you look exactly like my third husband. Oh, he responded, how many times have you been married? And with a warm smile, she patted his hand and answered, twice, sweetie. I was wondering if you'd get that immediately. I... We are called to behold Jesus until something happens in our heart. 
That's how Paul says we are transformed, by the way. He says, beholding Jesus, we are transformed from glory to glory into his image. And if you don't know how to behold him, I would suggest you start thanking him. List the benefits of your relationship with him. The psalmist says, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems you from the pit and crowns you with his love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things. If you don't know how to worship, start right there. Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Simon, that's what they were doing that night. Another reason to praise the Lord, especially during difficult times, we need to praise him because when we praise him, it infuses us with a power over those difficult times. If you're in trouble, in the hospital, in debt, in an unjust situation, do what you can to change things. But a key component in changing things is to praise the Lord while you're trying to change them. Paul said, praise God in all things. He didn't say praise God for all things, but no matter what mess you're in, praise him in all things. Because when we praise God in the middle of our battles, we are keeping our eyes on our deliverer, not on our problems. You are declaring God's power over your problems, even as you suffer through them or battle for what is just. Max Lucado told the story of Rebecca. Rebecca has spent the last three years of her life in pain. On a scale of one to ten, the doctor explained, Rebecca is a 12 every day. Rebecca's pancreas has shut down. After a dozen operations and changes in medication, there is still no solution in sight. But Rebecca is tough. Rebecca is 10 years old. She has fudge brown hair, eyes that sparkle, and guess what she does to help her get through every day pain-racked? She keeps a book of miracles. She showed it to Lucado. He said, I was talking with her mother. We thought she was asleep, and we were looking at the room, homemade sketches hung on the walls. There were stuffed animals everywhere, and suddenly Rebecca woke and said, Mommy, in a very groggy voice, what, honey, can you show Mr. Max my miracle book? It's a spiral notebook, edges weathered, adorned with crayon flowers and stars and an occasional clown, and in the handwriting of a child, Rebecca, 10-year-old Rebecca, writes down her miracles. I slept, last, all, I slept all last night. Miracle. I didn't throw up today. Miracle. Daddy snuck a puppy into the hospital. Miracle. <laughs> Mommy's bringing a Christmas tree, and she's going to set it up in the corner of my room. Miracle. Her body is in revolt. Her parents are scared stiff. The doctors are confused. But Rebecca, 10-year-old Rebecca, has made a decision. She is going to thank God for miracles in her life, big and small. A 10-year-old girl is doing nothing less than praising God in hell. If Rebecca can find reasons to say thanks... What about us? I cannot think of a better way to battle hell than to praise our way through it. You ought to try it sometime. 
We also worship Christ in order to see the deeper meaning of things, the deeper realities of what is going on all around us, to be empowered to take on the world. Jesus at that party told what the party was really about. They thought they were there to honor Jesus, and they were. But Jesus says there's a deeper meaning going on here tonight. This is not only an act of worship. This is an anointing for my burial. In essence, Jesus was saying, this is my Father's help in preparing me for my death. No one else in the room saw it, but Jesus, always in the Spirit, he saw beyond the visible. The, uh, Jesus saw what human eyes could not see in that room. That's why we worship, to connect with realities unseen, to catch a glimpse of God and things bigger than we are. Because apart from a vision of things unseen, apart from the glory of God, our lives shrink to the things as they are around us. We get reduced to the size of the world. We begin to, bring, to believe the lies of the world. We have to worship in order to stay free. Folks, what we see outside of worship is not nearly as real as what we see in God's word on the faces of God's people on Sunday morning, in, when the Spirit fills our hearts and our minds, worship shows us what we really have to hold on to. What our physical eyes see right now, they may be gone tomorrow, they may be gone forever. But what is coming, what is seen only through the eyes of faith and worship, is permanent and real and will last forever? That is why it is so important to come together and worship so that we will not substitute what is false for what is true. So that we will not substitute what is perishing for what is forever. So that we will not insert what is less for what is more. So we will not believe what is illusion from what is real. Worship is what frees us. Because worship is what opens our eyes to the movement of God and spiritual realities. The Bible says that. Paul says it over and over again. That which is unseen is more real than that, that which is seen. And when we come to worship, when we pray, when we thank God, we open ourselves up to the unseen. Two women entered the hospital on the same day and had the same operation. One of them took a full year to recuperate. And all through the year, she complained about how much she was suffering. The other woman was up and going strong, working and taking care of the household within 10 days. Why? What was the difference that the doctors saw? The difference isn't found in the fact that the woman who got well so quickly had to. She had to get well. She had three preschool children at home to care for, and there was no one else to care for them. You see, for some people... Some things are non-negotiable. For some people, there are things that simply must be done. For us as Christians, worship is one of those things that must be done. We must be as dedicated to worship to, of our God as that woman was to her children. Because worship is our lifeline. Worship is our oxygen. It is taking all of our lives and inviting God right into the middle of them because we cannot make it unless we are being infused with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. Yeah. 
The, uh, excuse me, I'm, if you, you, you want to see a miracle? Me preaching this sermon off these notes is a genuine miracle. <laughs> the night of the party, only one person at Simon's party did not worship. His name was Judas Iscariot. Judas was a thief. He followed Jesus to further his own agenda. If Jesus was the Messiah and would overthrow Rome, Judas would be well positioned in the new world order. If not, Judas figured at least he could steal enough money to make it worth his while to follow Jesus. Mary surrendered all she was to Jesus. She poured her life savings on Jesus as an act of deep, profound worship. And Judas was stealing money. Judas tried to use Jesus as a means to his own ends. Judas tried to use Jesus for his own agenda. Jesus himself wasn't enough. When I look at Judas, I have to be honest, sometimes it scares me. When I hear what people say about following Jesus in this country, sometimes it scares me. The conversations about church for way too many Christians is not whether the church preaches the truth or sound doctrine. It's not about whether the churches equip believers for service or stands for justice or, or teaches people to use their gifts or unleashes people to change the world. Very often, the purpose of the of the church reaching a lost world is often not considered at all. For too many, it comes down to, what does this church have to offer me? How does this fill, not, not how can I serve Jesus, how does Jesus serve my agenda? For too many of us in this country, Jesus is just a means to an end, our ends. Too many of us don't want to join the army of God. We want Walmart. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Walmart. I buy all my underwear there. <laughs> buy my socks there. I buy all kinds of stuff there. I love their large selection and everyday low prices. <laughs> and who, who could hate a place plastered with smiley faces and where old people greet you? You know why Walmart is so successful? It's successful because it has almost everything we want under one roof, is convenient, and is cheap. And fortunately, that's precisely what a lot of North American Christians look for in a church or in following Jesus. They don't look so much for the living God as good customer service. Following Christ is not about finding the best deal. Jesus Christ and his church is not Walmart. You are, we're not here to wallow in North American culture and bless it because the kingdom of God and the kingdom of America are not the same thing. There's a world of difference between Jesus Christ and John Wayne. Figure it out. The church of Jesus Christ is not here to make people happy in their cultural bondage. It's here to set people free from their cultural bondage. It's not here to bless people in their comfortable Satan's traps. It's here to get them out of the traps. The church of Jesus Christ is not here to bless people in their self-made hells. It's to show them heaven and a new kingdom that is coming. 
The church is not just about being served, but learning to serve. It's not just about care for ourselves, but care for others who are hurting and lost and dying. Did you come to church today to worship or be a critic? The church of Jesus Christ is not about me. It's about God and his glory and his kingdom. It's about redemption and love for others. That's why we worship. To bless God. To be grateful. To see reality as God sees it. To unpollute our souls from the lust and the greed of the world. Because we fill our souls with better treasure than this world could ever offer. To be free of an incredibly seductive culture. And maybe most importantly, to be free of our own egos. Quincy Jones was, and I, I think, is Quincy still with us? Okay. <laughs> All right, somebody knew. Quincy Jones was and is one of uh, the music industry's best and well-known performers, composers, promoters, producers, and arrangers. He has worked with Diana Ross, Aretha Franklin, uh, Michael Jackson, and of course the giant that stands above them all, Kenny G. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, that's a generational joke. Okay, well, we'll go from there. No matter who he's working with, when they enter the studios where Quincy Jones is in charge, there's a sign over the door for every artist, no matter how big they are. And the sign over the door says, check your ego at the door. Check your ego at the door. Because, you see, Quincy Jones is concerned about the music, not someone's portfolio. He's concerned about making great music, not giving in to people's whims and egos. We are here to worship. And either you're going to worship some form of yourself, or you're going to worship the living Christ. You get to choose. But if you're going to worship Jesus Christ... You must check your ego at the door. Because worship is about Jesus, not us. Jesus has already poured out his life for us. Now it's our turn. Mary got it. Lazarus got it. Simon got it. Martha got it. Do we got it? That's the question. We should come every Sunday. First of all, we should be praising God all through the week, inviting God into every aspect of our life all through the week. But every Sunday, we should come in here prepared to worship because worship is a choice. Gratitude is a choice. You can come in here and you can decide to focus on the columns blocking your view or how you would like a better chair or whether you like the music or not or whether the, the pastor is giving you what you want this Sunday morning or you can come in here and worship Jesus. Why? We sang it. He deserves it. He deserves it. He deserves it. That is why we come into this place. Worship is not about my whims. 
Worship is not about my personal taste. Worship is because the spirit of the risen Christ is here. And if we could, our eyes were opened and we could see the angels in this place and we could see Jesus walking up and down the aisle in this place, we would fall on our knees and praise him. By the way, that's exactly what's happening. Jesus is in this place. Jesus is in us. That has to be enough for you to come in here prepared to worship. I left my notes a long time ago. <laughs> Do you hear me? Is Jesus worth it? That's what you've got to figure out. Is Jesus worth it? Not not are the kids driving you crazy or not do I have a headache this morning or not what am I going to fix for lunch after Jesus Christ is here, the risen Christ is here. Am I going to praise him because he is worthy? That's why we're here. That is why we are here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Here's what I want you to throw out a praise to God, a one-sentence or two-sentence praise to God right now. Just stand up and shout it out so everyone can hear it. If you want to praise the Lord, stand up. Della. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Someone else. Praise the Lord. Thank you for Amen. Somebody else. Doris. What's that? Yes, praise the Lord that she can be here today. What else? Praise the Lord for the sunshine. <laughs> More, please. <laughs> yes. Yes. Amen. Amen. Anna. Amen. Amen. He gave everything. Yes. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. Amen. Yes, way in the back. Hey, okay, for waking us up this morning. John. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yes, to Keith. Amen. Yeah, that's worth a thanks. 46 years of joy. Uh, his mercy. Idotris. Praise the Lord for 46 years of salvation and diversity. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, we're going to stop now. I'd like the worship team to come forward now. I'd like the intercessors to come forward. And I don't know what you plan for the final hymn, Lydia, but can we sing You Deserve It one more time? Can you sing that? And again, intercessors, we will pray for you about anything. But let's, as we sing this song, let's blow the, the lid off this old car dealership. What do you say? Let's, <laughs> let's praise the Lord, okay? Stand up, will you? Let's praise him.